the holidays. Always a marvelous time of year. We move from Thanksgiving right on into Christmas. We have one more look at Thanksgiving here today on Graceful Truth. Thankful before Thanksgiving, peace versus anxiety. Join us. Graceful Truth is next. Anxiety. I think we all know what that means, and I think we've all experienced it a time or two. How do we get beyond anxiety and into a, an attitude of thankfulness? Well, that's what we're focusing on here today on Graceful Truth with Pastor Steve Converse from Grace Bible Church in Redwood City. Welcome to our program. One final look at our Thanksgiving series, Thankful Before Thanksgiving, out of Philippians 4. Won't you join us? Here's Pastor Steve Converse with today's broadcast. The Lord's Prayer is a, a wonderful uh, kind of outline of how to pray. Jesus never meant the Lord's Prayer to just be repeated ad nauseum, just kind of saying it over and over again until you don't even understand what you're saying anymore. That's not how you should read that and, and pray that portion of Scripture. There's nothing wrong with praying the Lord's Prayer as we know it there in Matthew 6. But really, he was praying for his disciples. He was giving them an outline of how to pray. Well, the, sec the third thing here is thanksgiving. He says, when you're anxious, presumably you're in a situation that may cause a little bit of anxiety. And at such times, Paul says, you know what? I understand thankfulness is not automatic. It's not spontaneous. You have to do it deliberately by faith. Sometimes when we're praying for a meal, we're praying by faith, right? Because we're going, what is in this stuff that we're about to eat? I think sometimes our prayer of thanksgiving, should, we should wait till the end of the meal. And then at least it would be genuine and we'd know what, whether it was worth being thankful for or not. But sometimes we have to pray for the food we're going to eat. Sometimes it doesn't do any good either, you know. Lord, bless these, these Twinkies to the nourishment of my body. Well, that's not, gonna, that's not a prayer God's going to answer. All right? Or if I chug a lug this liter of Pepsi, you know, bless it to the... It's not going to work. All right. So Thanksgiving, sometimes we have to be aware of that. But Thanksgiving, in times of trial, it should reflect three things. Remember what God's supply has been in the past. Always go back to how God has faithfully provided for you. Think back over his faithfulness up to this point. And then you begin to realize, wow, his, his mercies have sustained you. See, sometimes we can just react in the, in the midst of a trial or a situation where we're in a time of need and we, we kind of freak out like a panic attack, right? Well, we're not focusing on God's past uh, supply for us, his faithfulness. He never abandons or forsakes his children. I mean, even if we, we face persecution or death, it's for his sake. Secondly, we need to be submissive to God's sovereignty in the present. We need to thank God in the middle of a crisis and say, you know what, Lord, I don't understand why this is happening, but you know what, I'm going to submit to your sovereign, divine purpose in this situation. I trust that you know what you're doing, and, and all this is somehow going to work out. We're not just to thank God when we feel like it, but we're also to thank God when we don't feel like it. We read 1 Thessalonians 5.18. So important that we understand that. And then thirdly, there, trust 
in God's sufficiency, not just his sovereignty, but trust in his sufficiency for the future. When, you're, when you have a thankful heart genuinely before God, it rests on the all-sufficient God. Knowing that even though we don't know how he's going to work this out, how he's going to do it, that he promises that he will meet our every need as we cast ourselves on him. In Jeremiah thirty-two seventeen, it's it's a very neat uh, a verse. Jeremiah is shut up in prison, as you recall. And Nebuchadnezzar was besieging Jerusalem. It was about to fall. And in that situation, the Lord told Jeremiah to do something that everyone thought he was just crazy for doing. And he was to buy a field from his uncle in the middle of a war zone. I mean, anybody with any common sense knows you don't sink your money in real estate into a country that's going to be overrun by a tyrant. But God wanted to show his people that houses and fields and vineyards shall again be brought into this land. That's what he says in Jeremiah thirty-two fifteen. And then in verse 17, he says, Ah, Lord God, behold, thou hast made the heavens and the earth by your great power and by your outstretched arm. Nothing is too difficult for you. Jeremiah thirty-two seventeen. Jeremiah was trusting in God's sufficiency for the future. He was going to be obedient. This doesn't make sense to buy this property, especially in the middle of this war zone at this time. It it just doesn't make good common sense. It doesn't make logic. But you know what, God? I'm going to be obedient, and I'm going to trust you for the future. Sometimes God doesn't show us everything we need to see at once. He doesn't show us all the trials that we may be going through. He doesn't show us sometimes. I remember the first church I was at in as a youth pastor, First Baptist Church right across the bay, Fremont. And uh, brand new kind of ministry, just graduated from Christian Heritage College and came up here. And uh, I was working with a, a pastor who was very, very, very conservative. But we have to come back and we have to remember that, you know what? We have to have faith. Sometimes our present circumstances, we don't think it's going to work out. I mean, I remember thinking, man, maybe I should just leave this church tomorrow. And just thinking, yeah, you know, I don't fit in. It's not going to work out. But God had a plan. God had a purpose. And I just fell back and said, you know what? I'm just going to be continually trusting in God. And he did. I was there uh, five years. And God really used me there. And he used that church to really um, give me a good foundation to build ministry on. But the last thing here, the, the fourth thing, the fourth word really is the idea of requests. He points out here, this word really kind of overlaps with supplications, but it it emphasizes more of a specific, um, definitive nature of our request before God. And, And sometimes, you know, when we come to God in prayer, I don't know if we're afraid to do it or if we just don't know to do it, but I think God would like us to be specific. Sometimes I've heard prayers from people that are so generic, it's like, what does that even mean? And it's almost... You hear children pray that way. And and from their point of view, it's just a childlike faith. But do you want to pray, little Susie? Sure. Okay, go ahead. You pray. God, just bless the whole world. Well, that's a cute prayer. But when you hear adults pray like that, you kind of go, wait a minute. Where's the depth here? Bless the whole world. That's that's not really a, a correct prayer. And so... Matthew chapter 7, verse 7 tells us, Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it shall be opened. And he goes on in that illustration, and he says, You know what? He talks about a boy asking his father for a loaf of bread. But the dad won't give him a stone. You know, that would be kind of a cruel father. Uh, If he asks for a fish to eat, the dad won't give him a snake. 
<laughs> even though some people do eat snake. They say it tastes like chicken, I guess. Go figure. I don't know. Everything tastes like chicken. But Jesus concludes, you then being evil know how to give good gifts to your children. How much more shall your father who is in heaven give what is good to those who ask him? See, we need to ask the father. And if it's good for you, he will give it to you. And we have to be okay with that. Sometimes we fail to ask specifically because maybe they seem too trivial or, you know, too small of a, of a uh, request before God. I was reading this past week of a quote by the G. Campbell Morgan, who is just a wonderful uh, English Bible teacher. And uh, a woman asked him one time, do you think we should pray about the little things in our lives or just the big things? And I love his answer. His answer was this. Madam, can you think of anything in your life that is big to God? <laughs> and I thought, wow, that's, that's a good answer. So when it comes to your being anxious, we need to come to God in reverent, humble, specific, thankful prayer. Now, I want you to look over into Psalm 136. And we'll begin to wrap this up here a little bit. But I think we're, we're not just to put off anxiety because it's sin. We, we also have to practice prayer with thanksgiving about every concern. But we're always to give thanks to the Lord because his loving kindness is everlasting. His loving kindness is everlasting. When you have the time and you read through the whole entirety of, of Psalm 136 there, what's interesting is that that phrase, that command to give thanks is repeated. In verses 1, 2, 3, 26. I mean, each time with the same reason. Give thanks, why? For his loving kindness is everlasting. Over and over. And so this psalm is, is appropriate for as we enter even into this Thanksgiving season. And it's unique in this unique psalm. It's, it's that same refrain is repeated over and over and over and over. The only thing close to it is in Psalm 118, when he, he repeats there in Psalm 118, verses 1 to 4, his loving kindness is everlasting. He says it over and over. But the Jews call this the, the great halal, the praise. And it was especially sung at Passover. And it's important that we understand that we give thanks to God because his loving kindness is everlasting. I think that, that phrase, when it's repeated over and over in that psalm to us, it really teaches us to praise the Lord in a proper fashion. In other words, we must acknowledge that everything we receive from Him is bestowed by His grace. The reference there to, to God's strong arm, strong hand and outstretched arm in verse 12 comes from Deuteronomy. There's a lot that comes from Deuteronomy. There's a lot in this psalm that comes from other portions of Scripture. And really, the, the lesson there for us is to show us how important it is for us to know Scripture, even the Old Testament. And I think it's, it's important that we respond to trials and other situations in our lives with, with biblical thoughts and biblical language. And the only way to do that is to hide God's Word in our hearts. Spurgeon once said of John Bunyan, great man of faith, he said, if you prick that man anywhere, his blood runs Bibline. Just Bible just flows out. See, that's how we should be. He meant that Bunyan is so full of the Bible that it just runs through his veins. The stories in the Old Testament that Psalm 136 alludes to were written for our instruction. 1 Corinthians 10 tells us that, uh, that we should not crave evil things as, as they did, or be idolaters, or try the Lord, or grumble. And I think that if you're not familiar with some of these stories there that are represented, it, it, you're not having your worldview shaped in a way that would honor the Lord. But you can divide this, this little psalm 
into three sections, basically. The first is the call to give thanks. And he says, give thanks to God for his goodness and sovereignty, which displays his everlasting love. Give thanks to the Lord, for he is good, for his loving kindness is everlasting. That word give thanks in the Hebrew means to confess or to acknowledge. So it calls us to really thoughtful, grateful worship, spelling out what we know or have found out about God's glory and his deeds. And the first reason there is that he's good. (laughs) It says he is good for his loving kindness is everlasting. God is only originally good. He's good of himself. Uh, he, He can't be compared to someone else. That's hard for us to understand because our goodness is a comparison to someone else. But that's not the way God. God is completely good in and of himself. And so we need to be willing to give thanks for his goodness. And he is truly good to us. And then secondly there, it says the cause for giving thanks. Why should we give, give, give thanks to God? Because of his power and creation and salvation and his provision. And it displays his everlasting love. Did you ever go out? Recently we've had some clear nights here and you go out early in the morning, maybe before the sun's up and the, uh, it's kind of quiet and you look up into the sky and you see all those stars. It's just amazing. I mean, that's the, the wonderful creation of God, and it's the glory of God on display. Remind yourself of that. The next time you're taking a drive over to the coast and you're looking at the power of those waves crash against the, the seawalls and the, the rocks, and, and you're thinking, man, this is, just, this is just the power of God on display. Give thanks to God this Thanksgiving season for his power in creation. It definitely displays his glory. Paul writes in in Romans chapter 1, verse 20, For since the creation of the world, his invisible attributes, God's invisible attributes, his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood, look at what it says, through what has been made, so that you're without excuse. When you stop and you think of the people that don't believe in God, they claim to be atheists, and they look around and say, oh, uh, this was all as a result of evolution and, you know, man-centered whatever. If you haven't seen that little DVD back there, Evolution versus God, I, they're free. You can take one. Uh, it's a wonderful little way to share the Lord with people. Uh, I'm going to give them out down at the coffee shop. We have some teachers that come in there and things. So I'm going to put a little bow on them and give them to them for Christmas. And uh, we gave one to one of the, the doctors that uh, is kind of a holistic kind of a doctor. And, uh, and, because, and I go to him once in a while, and uh, I gave him this uh, DVD. And I said, hey, you might want to check this out. Because he's always talking about how we come from the ocean and all this stuff. So I said, check this DVD out. So I'm kind of curious. He's a Jewish, Jewish man. So it would be interesting to see his take on that. But we also give thanks for God's power in saving his people, right? I mean, that displays his everlasting love. I mean... You know, I listed there basically um, five aspects of God's saving power. That first of all, his saving power is a particular love. You know, when you stop and you think of, of God's love and how he saves us, he doesn't save us generally. Atonement of Christ on the cross was specific. He died for you. He died for me. He died for our sins. And there's people today that want theology going around. Oh, no, no. He just, you know, he died for everybody. Well, no. Even in the word of God, I mean, God saved Israel because of his sovereign, gracious choice of Abraham, who, by the way, was an idolater living in an idolatrous city and his covenant promises to him. Um, Paul lays out very clearly, and we're going to go through this when we go through Romans eventually, uh, where he shows how God 
loved Jacob and what? Hated Esau, verse 13. We can't look at that and go, well, that's not fair. Well, no, our God is a just God. And even there in Romans 9, Paul retorts when asked the question, on the contrary, who are you, O man, who answers back to God? In other words, we have to trust in God's divine plan. And as a divine potter, God can show mercy to whom he chooses. And he can leave others as to become objects of his wrath, that even those are for his glory. I don't completely understand that. I would never claim to completely understand that. That's all in the mind of God. But that's what the word of God says. Secondly, God's love does not negate his judgment of the wicked. We mentioned this several weeks ago, but many argue that God's love means that everyone will be forgiven and saved. Well, that's not true. That's universalism. That's not true at all. Many deny the doctrine of eternal punishment because they think somehow it negates God's love. But the Bible clearly affirms both God's love and his righteous judgment. Refer you to Romans 9 once again. Third thing there, God's love for his people is secure against all enemies. This should help us uh, sleep tonight. Nothing can thwart the love of God for his enemies. And he, he kind of points out there, uh, Psalm 136, verse 12, no one can stand against his strong hand and outstretched arm. Jude 24 says he is able to keep you from stumbling and to make you stand in the presence of his glory, blameless, with great joy. In spite of yourself, God is going to be faithful. In spite of your own unwillingness to cooperate with him, he's going to be faithful. And he will, if you're truly in him, if you're truly a Christian, he will bring it to pass. That's why Paul says that he who, uh, being confident of this very thing, he who has began a good work in you will what? Complete it. Fourthly, to appreciate God's everlasting love, you must be brought low. You must be brought low. The problem with sharing the gospel today is a lot of people aren't confronted with their sin. They're just confronted with how Jesus can meet their felt needs. So they hear all this good stuff about Jesus. It doesn't take a rocket scientist to figure out, yeah, I guess I want that. (laughs) But they fail to talk about denying yourself. They fail to talk about forsaking your sin. They fail to talk about how your sin grieves God. See, when you talk about those kind of things, that brings you low. You're not going to win friends and influence people with talk like that. But that's what Psalm 136 points out in verse 23. God remembered us in our low estate, referring to their bondage in, Israel, in, in Egypt there. And so it's very important that we understand that before we can understand God's love, we have to be brought to a point where we appreciate God's love. And then the last thing here quickly, you cannot save yourself or deserve salvation. Only God can save you by his grace and his power. No more than Israel could have escaped from Egyptian bondage if God hadn't exerted his power on their behalf. It's a perfect picture. They would have died in the wilderness if he had not sustained them. They would have been destroyed by their many adversaries if he hadn't rescued them. And you know what? It would have been absurd for Israel when they reached the promised land to say, you know what? Hey, we got here on our own ingenuity, our own effort. We made it here by ourselves. Hey, high five. No, no. They realized that it was only through the grace of God. And I'm telling you this morning, the biggest hindrance to salvation is the notion that somehow you can do something to save yourself. If you think that you're good enough or that you deserve salvation, guess what? You don't get it. Only God can save you from your sins and he does it apart from anything that you can do. It's very clear. It's not by the will of man. It's by the will of God. We simply receive it as a gift of faith. Gift by faith. So the psalmist 
really shows two cause for giving thanks to God, his power in creation and in salvation. He displays his everlasting love. But he also says, give thanks for God's provision of food for all creatures, which displays his everlasting love. In verse 25 in Psalm 136, alludes to God's promise to Noah after the flood to sustain all flesh. I mean, we read in the New Testament where Jesus teaches, hey, if God cares for this little sparrow when he hops from branch to branch and he's concerned, don't you think he's going to take care of you? One of his children that that Christ died for, he paid a dear price to secure your salvation. And I think every time we do take a bite of food, every time that we do eat, as Christians, we should pause and give thanks to the Lord. Whether you're at a restaurant or whether you're at home, it makes no difference. And then he closes out here a final call to praise. He says, give thanks to the God of heaven there in verse 26, 136, for his everlasting love. That title, the God of heaven, is kind of interesting. It only occurs here in the Psalms. It's used other places. It's used nine times in Ezra, ten times in other books, four other times in the Old Testament. It's used twice in the book of Revelation. And it points to God's sovereignty. He rules the heaven, which he made, and he rules over it. And we're to give thanks in the midst of our difficult trials, whatever circumstances we find ourselves in, and we're to submit to his sovereign hand. We're promised, last point, God's incomparable peace, incomparable peace when we pray. I think we really need to be reminded that, you know, when we're filled with anxiety and, and worry is keeping us up late at night and and we need to stop and we need to say, hey, wait a minute. What's, what's Philippians 4, 7 say? The peace of God which surpasses all understanding, all comprehension. What's it going to do? It's going to guard your heart. It's going to guard your mind. It's going to do that in Christ Jesus. This isn't some kind of psychological game, peace gained through some kind of coping technique. That's not what we're talking about. There's some Christian psychiatrists that give you all sorts of common sense and then they throw in it psychological methods alongside of the spiritual so that maybe they can kind of mix them up and alleviate your anxiety or whatever. I think it's just disguised transcendental meditation, to be honest. Paul here is talking about a peace that comes from God who is never subject to anxiety because he is the sovereign, omnipotent creator and the Lord of the universe. Do you know nothing takes God by surprise? Nothing? You go for that doctor's visit and you get that bad report. Don't think God's up there going, oh no, what am I going to do now? No. He knew before you ever even went to the doctor what was going on. Or maybe you go in next week and your boss says, sorry, can't, can't afford to keep you on anymore. What? It's right before Thanksgiving, right before Christmas, you're going to fire me now? You know why God knows that? He's going to meet your needs. He's going to take care of you because just as we are his real children, he's our real father. So I, I pray that as we enter into this Thanksgiving season and Thanksgiving quickly gives way to the Christmas season and pretty soon, boy, you're in the mix of it. And you got no time on your hands and you got all these dinners and festivities, all the stuff going on and the anxiety begins to build up. I pray that God will bring you back to this passage of scripture in Philippians and remind you that God wants us to be thankful even in these hard times and the peace of God will rule and reign in our heart. Well, it is our prayer here at Graceful Truth that God would reveal His grace to your hearts through the teaching of His Word each week. We trust you're currently involved in a Bible teaching church in your area. If not, we'd love to have you come and visit us here at Grace Bible Church in Redwood City. We meet each Sunday morning for our praise and worship service at 10 a.m. We offer nursery care and Sunday school classes for our children up to grade 5. 
One other invitation we would like to extend to you is the opportunity to partner with us financially. As you probably know by now through most of the other programming here on KFAX, each of these broadcasts are brought to you as a direct result of involvement from listeners such as yourself, both financially and prayerfully. As you consider year-end giving, would you consider Graceful Truth in the ministry of Grace Bible Church here in Redwood City? It would mean a great deal to us to hear from you at this time. You can write to us at Graceful Truth, 2225 Euclid Avenue, Redwood City, California. The zip code is 94061. You can also contact us by phone, 650-366-9923. You can learn more about Graceful Truth online at gracefultruth.org, and coming soon, the ability to contribute securely online at our website, again, gracefultruth.org. That's gracefultruth.org. And again, we're able to come to you each and every week here on KFAX as you partner with us financially, saying that the broadcast is of value to you and that you would like to help continue spreading God's Word through the ministry of Graceful Truth each and every Sunday here on KFAX. And again, as you consider year-end giving, it would mean a great deal to us at this time to hear from you. So would you take a moment and get a hold of us? Again, you can contact us with your donation at 650-366-9923 or write to us and address your envelope to 2225 Euclid Avenue, Redwood City, California. The zip code is 94061. And again, all of that information can again be found at our website, gracefultruth.org. We do thank you for joining us and look forward to hearing from you. It would mean a great deal to us at this time of year. Until next week at this same time, God bless.